Ephesians chapter 1 um, has come and gone. Ephesians chapter 2 has come and gone. We've made it to Ephesians chapter 3. That's where we're at in our ongoing study through uh, the book of Ephesians. And so it kicks off this way. It says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, you, you outcasts brought in. I want to say two very quick things about that little line right there before we uh, kind of dive any further. Number one is this. In this moment, uh, Paul is going to have kind of one of these brain fog moments. What I mean by that is he, he tells us um, that he's going to tell us something, but he doesn't tell us that thing for another 13 verses. Um, okay, go ahead and pop that screen up, Dan. Um, and, and so he, he says that little line, but it's, it's not going to be all the way until verse 14 that he actually completes this thought. So it's kind of one of those kitchen moments, right? You've all been there. You know what it's like. You head into the kitchen and you have no idea why you walked into the kitchen. Anybody else or is that just me? Okay. Uh, so what do you do in that moment? You make a sandwich anyway, Right. It's just what you do. It's, it's kind of one of those moments. He says, I'm going to tell you something, but he doesn't tell us until 14 more verses. So that's that. But number two, whatever he's going to say, he's going to say for this reason. Now, we know squarely what the reason is. He's, he's super encouraged by everything that has been said, that's been built up, that the Lord has led him to say. For this reason, he's going to tell us something. What is that reason? Well, Ephesians chapter 1, 1 and 2, he told us that we could be grounded, stable through grace and peace. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4, he told us that being loved in the sense of being loved gives us stability in life. He told us in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23 that being useful, y'all remember that, being useful grounds us in life. 2, 1 through 10, he told us about holiness, how holiness grounds us in a life. And then Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 last week, how being made family with God actually brings us stability unlike any other. And today he's going to get into how church family, it's going to get even more intimate into how these things ground us in life. In other words, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I need you to remember that God is uniting people. He's uniting a people through Christ that even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's saying, I, I'm telling you, God has united a people that are firm, that they're stable, that they're grounded. And so even when the world gets shaky around them, they are solid. He, he says, remember this, and I'm doing it through all of these different ways. And before I tell you what I'm going to tell you in verse 14, I'm going to get stuck in a parenthesis. And he just kind of erupts in still more of what Christ has already done through giving us a footing in life through church family. And that's where I think squarely the bullseye of this text is is going to be. So today, in other words, this text is going to show us two things. It's going to show us something theologically and something practically. What it's going to show us theologically is this, that, that God through Christ is indeed building a new society, if you will, what we just sang about, from a bunch of scattered, alienated people, vagabonds. He's bringing them all together and building his own family through this. Theologically, that's what's going to happen. But then practically what he's going to show us is that if you are in Christ, he's not only united you um, with his love, but he's united you with a people that is stronger and more supportive than your own blood relatives. You're like, Troy, now you're talking in hyperbole. I don't think I am. 
I 100% believe that he's, he's uniting us in a deeper, stronger way through church family. And so we'll kind of talk about that. So for the rest of our time, Paul's going to show us how church family... Now listen, I'm not talking about just little c church. That's squarely a part of it. He's talking about big C church. How being a part of the global church and also the local church is unlike any other group that you can be a part of. And it provides stability in a way that no other group provides. That's where this text is going to lead us today. So, number one, he says it by this way. So let's look at these two things he's going to say. We are church family uniquely united by a revelation. Okay? That's what he's going to say. In other words... We're united, unlike any other group, in the fact that a mystery has been revealed to us collectively. Okay? And we gather to celebrate and receive that mystery. That's why we even gather. All right, so let's look at this, verse 2. Assuming, this is his parentheses, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery, here it is, was made known to me by revelation. That's where that point came from. As I've written briefly. And when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now look at verse 6. This mystery, this is what unites us. This is what separates us from any other country club or whatever. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's a biggie. That's bigger than any family crest that you could possibly have. It's it's bigger than any volleyball team or baseball team or football team that unites you. It's bigger than any other quilting club that you're a part of. I don't know if quilting's still a thing. Maybe it is. Maybe you're a part of it. Okay. This is bigger than any other club you could ever be a part of in Christ you are united in the fact that a mystery has been revealed to you that you formerly didn't know and the prophets didn't even formerly know. That's a big deal. He goes on to say this, verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of the Spirit. Which leads us to this question. Have you ever asked the question, why on earth am I even here on Sunday morning? Have you ever asked, why do you gather in church on Sunday morning? Like, what are we doing? Like, some of you right now are going, I don't know, Troy. I'm asking myself that question right now. Why am I here? Okay. But have you ever thought about that? Why do we gather as a church? Now, some people gather in an attempt to be a a better person, right? Um, Hopefully that somebody will sing something or say something that will give me a tip or a trick or a secret to be a better moralist, right? Side note, pet peeve of mine, if you ever hear somebody at Safe Haven say that um, I'm going to give you seven secrets or seven tips or seven tricks to be a better person, get up and leave our church, all right? We don't have no tips, tricks, secrets, whatever. But a lot of times people go to church kind of with that notion. I just want to be a better person. Maybe that's why I gather at church. Or some people go to church maybe in an attempt to, to find friends, to share common space with people who share the same circumstances in life. Sometimes people go to church in an attempt to kind of feel, fulfill this innate religious thing that's going on in us. 
You know what I'm talking about? You've got to show the big man that you still love him. <laughs> and so I'll just kind of show up to make sure he knows that I still love him, right? But why do we come to church? Now, I'll say this. All of those things that I just mentioned certainly happen in churches. There's no doubt about that. All those things happen. We, we do learn to grow, and we do find friends and commonality, and we do worship the Lord. But at Safe Haven, and hopefully every other gospel-centered church in the world, that is not our goal. It's not why we gather. That's not even the, not the primary point or the secondary or the tertiary point. That's not why we gather as a church. We gather to celebrate the fact that we were scoundrels, cast away, brought back in, and united by the blood of Christ. We come to worship and celebrate that there was a mystery that we could be brought back into a loving relationship with Christ, and that mystery was revealed to you. Like something opened your eyes to the fact that on your own, you would never walk into eternity into a, a worshiping relationship with the Lord. But somehow, through the power of the Spirit, that poof, came alive in your life. And so that's why, that's why we gather. That's the whole point that we gather is to worship Jesus. That's why we wake up and get our kids ready when they're scrambling around. That's why mine are scrambling around and then we let them feed themselves, right? But that's why you got in the shower. That's why you whatever. That's why you drove all the way back to the, in the middle of nowhere, Alabama. We gather simply to worship Jesus and nothing less. And I choose that word nothing less on purpose because it's not nothing more. He is not only the foundation, but he's the ceiling. It's everything that we gather for. That mystery has been revealed. Now, I'll admit, listen, we messed this up early in our church's life, um, big time. Some of you guys were there in, in, the, in the beginning days, and, and we really did some fairly bizarre things. We thought, hey, you know, let's just be a church who, you know, kind of pushes the edge, pushes the envelope, you know, does some... Mitch uh, should have told us not to do the things, and he did, and we didn't listen to him anyway. We just did them. Whether it be dumping eggs out of a hot air balloon or somebody preaching on a Sunday morning and actually getting an IV stuck in their arm, how nutty is that? That's stupid. That, that moron should be slapped, right? Don't slap me, Nielsen. Uh, I mean, we did some just nutty things to just try to push the envelope, whatever. And in that, lost the message of Christ for the hope of being cool. Praise God that He opened our eyes and gave us a gospel revelation and was like, listen, it's about me or it's about nothingness. Are you going to slip into eternity safe haven and go, you fed people popcorn? When you could have given them the riches of Scripture? Praise the Lord. That's why we gather. It's for Jesus and Jesus alone. Not to be hip, not to be cool, but to show who really is hip and cool, a loving Savior who can take sinners and make them whole. That's why we gather. And so I hope we never take this grand mystery for granted. Peter says it this way. This will be on the screen. Listen to how Peter says this, and I think he'll hammer my point home. First Peter 1, he says, Concerning salvation, the prophets 
who prophesied about the grace that was to be uh, yours, searched and inquired carefully. And it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but were actually serving you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which even the angels long to look. Why do we gather? It's to contemplate this grand mystery, this this grand mystery of, of salvation. It's what prophets sought after and never even found. The prophets gave their lives away in hopes to understand the mystery, and they never got it. And even angels, check this out, other side of the coin, even angels in eternity look down right now and long to understand the mystery of the gospel in the way that you understand the mystery of the gospel. Now that just threw some of you for a loop. You're like, nope, Troy, you really have lost your mind. There's a good chance I have lost my mind. But right now you're going, there's no way. There's no way that we understand something in a way that angels don't understand. Just hold on. We'll get to it in just a second. My point is this. When we gather, angels are looking down going, why do they relentlessly gather to, separate, to celebrate grace in the way that they do? When we rearrange our schedule not to miss out on the mission of Christ, they go, they're giving away everything to rearrange their schedule. They're looking down and peering and understanding the gospel through us. When we... Speak over our kids. Kids, you got to hear the gospel. you got to know the gospel. When there's rooms up here and rooms that are about to be finished back there and kids all over scattered around doing kitty things back there and we're pouring the gospel into them, angels look and they go, why do they do so much? I'm telling you, we understand it in a way. And literally what he just said is the angels long to look into these things. My point at this point is just simply this. If the prophets long to rejoice in the gospel and to seek it out, and angels still long to understand it, why would we settle for worshiping anything else? We gather to worship Jesus alone. And with that, Paul moves on to the second point. He says, The church family is unique in that the reason it gathers is to celebrate this mystery. And then number two, the church family is also united in commission. It's not only united in a message it's received, but it's united in a ministry that it's been given. Verse 8 says this, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is plain of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now for all of you who thought I was crazy, verse 10, so that... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That's mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Goes on verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. Paul is in prison, which is your glory. So in other words, yes, we gather as a church exclusively. In other words, we gather, we, we come in. And we come in to celebrate the person and work of Jesus. But according to this, we also leave, right? And we leave, we, we go out to do what? 
celebrate the person and work of Jesus. It all revolves around him is, is what we do. Some groups and organizations go out to, they come in, they gather, and they go out to feed the hungry. And that's their goal. That's their mission is let's just make sure there's no hungry mouths. And that's a great thing. But the problem is, is those mouths that get fed will at some point become hungry again, right? There are groups who get together like Habitat for Humanity, which we partner with. I'm not knocking. Don't walk away saying they hate Habitat. That's okay. That's not what we're saying. As a matter of fact, we're trying to line up another thing with Habitat this year, okay? But the groups gather together and it terminates with let's go out and fix a broken down house. Well, the problem with that is, is that the house that is fixed will one day decay again, right? It'll, it'll fall apart again. There are some groups who get together to go to hospitals and make sick kids smile, which is awesome and praise the Lord they do. Macy Lane benefited from this when she had her heart surgery. The, the people that came in and made her laugh and smile, oh my gosh, if I could have given them a million dollars, I'm telling you I would have. Because there is nothing like who, somebody who can make your daughter smile when she don't feel like smiling. Like, I, want, I would have given them anything. Now, if it was the boys, I would have said, just, you suck it up. You'd be a man. You, you turn that frown upside down. But it's Macy, okay? My, my, you get my point, okay? We're different. We do all those things, yes, no doubt about it. But what makes us exclusive is we're united in doing those things and then tagging on the reason I'm doing them is to tell you that Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life and can draw you into his loving family if you'll trust in him. That's what makes us unique. We're unlike any other group. We're united in this co-mission. We get to go tell unworthy people about the unsearchable riches of Christ's worth, and it opens lives, and it opens eyes, and it changes people for all eternity. In church, there is no single greater mission given a group than that mission. You bear the greatest mission humanity has ever been given. Wow! That's who we are. I got a question for you. Who did that for you? This is not Sunday school answer where you go, Jesus, Jesus is the answer, Jesus. No, that, and we're good, solid theological people, okay? Yes, who opened your eyes is Jesus, no doubt about it. But that's not my question. Practically, who did that for you? Who took this mission seriously? For some of you, it was a grandfather. For some of you, it was a pastor or a Sunday school teacher. For some of you, it was a coworker. For some of you, it was somebody on the baseball team or the football team, or some of somebody. It was some of you. It was the person in the band with you. Uh, there's there's one guy in this room. I won't out him, but I just thought of it when I saw his face. Uh, for some of you, it was a Navy SEAL who pulled you aside in a car ride and shared the gospel with you. Who did this for you? You have the chance to do the same for somebody else, and that is unique to the church. It's a great gift that brings strength and stability unlike any other group. It's awesome, man. It's a high calling. And so I'll wrap it up with this way. Sometimes I think that we think that God is up to big, grand things that are super abstract. And the only way that I can show it to you is probably the most abstract painting I've ever seen in my life, and this is it. 
This picture or this artwork right here. Number one, there's a lot of things that I wish I would have invented in life, like the gym clip and all that kind of stuff. But even in gym clip, I'm like, that's pretty complicated. This I can pull off, church. Anybody can do this, right? Um, this is an abstract piece of art. You can go look it up on your own. Please don't do it right now. Um, stick with me just for a few more minutes. This bad boy sold for $40 million, right? This looks like, honestly, it looks like some of my painting in my house as I've tried to roll. We think that God's up to something abstract. And we know it's worth a lot of money, right? But we also don't fully understand it. We kind of think that that's how salvation works. That God's up to these big things and it's these other things. We really don't understand it. It's worth a lot, but I just kind of know it's out there. And Paul's saying, no, no. Yes, he's up to a bajillion things. But God is doing something very specific, very knowable, and very uh, personal in the sense that you can be a part of. God's painting looks like that. Oh, it's beautiful. But the whole point of history is I am gathering a people together who trust in me and one day will dine together and they'll remember their sin no more because I'll remember their sin no more and we will be family. It's a beautiful story of redemption and that's what solidifies us and that's squarely what unites us. As we just kind of wrap it up, my point in all of this is church family is so much more, I think, a lot of times than we think it is. We're united in the fact that revelation has occurred and we're united in the fact that we get to go reveal that to other people. Is institutional church perfect? No, man. (laughs) No, that's not what I'm prescribing to you today. Heavens no. If you find a perfect church, please contact me. Not because we want to learn from that perfect church, but because I want to go join that perfect church. This is not the point. The, The institution is not perfect, but the point is this. Any criticism or devaluing of the institution of church is a devaluing itself of God's sovereign plan to put Christ's work on display. And we ain't going to be a part of that. Church family that you're a part of is unique. As a matter of fact, all of history. Guys, I mean, I hope and pray that there's no history teacher in here Just scanning the room. I think there might have been a history teacher in the first service. She didn't throw anything at me. No history teachers, right? Okay, good. All right. So we can say it a little more clearly. Uh, I think a lot of times history can be, um, well, it's earthly. You go to history class and you learn about kings. And you learn about big, well-known people, right? And, And that's what it's all about. It's all about earth and all that kind of stuff. History is not about that. The whole point of history is not about kings. It's not about territories. It's not about who conquers who. It's not about the economies flexing up and down. That is not the point of history. The point of history is that God is gathering for various times through various people a people together that he'll call his own, my beloved. And he'll say, you are mine and I am yours. That's what history is all about. Again, read your books. That's great. 
I, I, I like history to some extent. That's a lie. I don't like history. I don't like it. I'm more of a math guy. I, you know, give me math and sciences and all that kind of stuff. My point is this. Earthly history really concerns itself with being a big, well-named person who can be put in a book that a lot of people know about. And eternal history is about little bitty, unknown people who God knows greatly and loves very much. And that happens through the church. Practical takeaways. Six practical takeaways. If this is true, then we, we can't just we can't be the same. Like, it has to change us. Six practical takeaways. Number one, if this is true as church family, then we should be a people welcoming of other people. It has to drive us. If we're unique, it's got to drive us to be a welcoming people. Welcoming in our homes, that's not complicated at all. To have a front door that's wide open that says, hey, come on in. And I know some of you, that causes you to sweat, right? You're like, I don't want people in my house. Well, we're called to this. We're called to be welcoming people. It's, it's as simple as saying, hey, you want to come over and have dinner, right? It calls us to this. But not only that, it calls us to be welcoming in our lives. Now, that's not easy. That is complicated. Because the more people get in your lives, the more their mess gets on you, and the more your mess gets on them. It's just part of it. But this calls us to this, to be welcoming in our gathering. Another thing it does is this, as a church family, this calls us to be a people who are unique in peacemaking. By peacemaking, I, I just think that this calls us to be a people of the gray. And I couldn't come up with any other words. I think this passage, if true, if we're unique in revelation and in mission, it calls us to be a people of the gray. And what I mean by that is this. I think one of the... Um, most brilliant schemes of Satan is that polarization sells today. He divides people by popping up polarization as the end-all, be-all. What I mean by is this. If you want to be cool in today's society, heard, known, whatever, you've either got to be Antifa or some crazy radical. And if you're one of these, you get heard... But if you're kind of a person of the gray, like you don't get hurt at all. And I think this calls us to be a person of the gray. What I'm trying to say is this. Biden's not our savior. Trump's not our savior. The economy's not our savior. None of these things. The Super Bowl winner's not our savior. Our trust doesn't lie in any of those things. And what sells is you got to be polarizing. And if we're going to be a unique people, I think God calls us to be a people of the gray. It doesn't mean that we don't engage. It just means that when we engage, we use that engagement as a springboard to jump in the personal work of Jesus Christ. It should be said of Christians this. I don't want to go talk to Troy about politics. Because every time I talk to Troy about politics, he just starts talking about Jesus. <laughs> That's what makes us unique. I don't want to go talk to Troy about sports. Because once he starts talking about sports, he somehow brings it to Jesus. I don't want to go talk to Troy about music. This is the point. This is what this calls us to. Every engagement in life, whether it's working out, whether it's fishing, whether it's whatever it is, this calls us to be so different that we engage in a way that is, seems gray as a springboard to get to Jesus. If this is true, it calls us to welcomingness, to peacemaking, and to be a people of action. 
It causes us to fly our gifts, to play our role, to be a part, to do something. Just last, was it last night there was a Valentine's thing in here? Uh, this whole place was transformed. It was last night, right? And there was a disco ball hanging right there where that hook is, right? Uh, the disco ball got took down, but earlier this morning we came in and there was a balloon right about over there. And of course, being OCD, I was like, no, nah, dog, that ain't staying. Balloon had to go, so we knocked the balloon down. My point is, all of this stuff was put in to gather kids together. People were playing their roles, all this kind of stuff. And it wasn't about the disco ball, and it wasn't about balloons, and it wasn't about just gathering. It wasn't about, I think it was 70s, right? It wasn't about all those things. It was, we're going to use this to fly our gifts so that we can talk about how awesome Jesus is. Everybody can play a role in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And when you choose to miss out, we all miss out on what you bring to the table. That's the good news of the church and church family. We all share gifts. I guess I could say it this way because I really do need to wrap it up. We, I mean, we're, we're like Megatron without Bumblebee. You've got to have Bumblebee to make Megatron work. There's only about four people in this room that even understand that. So let's go to another illustration, all right? We're, church is like peanut butter and you got to have the jelly, you know, or a banana and mayonnaise. you got to have something with it. <laughs> Some people just threw up in their mouth right there. Right? We're like Batman without Robin. If you're gone, we're missing Robin. Um, if, if you're absent, it's like having a worship band that doesn't have skinny jeans. you just got to have them. They fit. In there, Britain don't got skinny. Connor, you got you don't even wear skinny jeans. Kobe is rocking our skinny jeans for us. Okay, there we go. You get my point. The church is unique. It's a gift. So kudos, kudos for being here today. You are the grand illustration. Why? Because somebody around you needed your smile. Somebody around you needed the encouragement that you gave them. Somebody around you needed that story that you shared. That's what makes church different. You have an impact on other people and you don't even realize it. Let's pray together. So God, we revel... We revel in several things. Number one, in the fact that you still take people who are absolute messes and make them beautiful in your eyes. So we would be amiss not to begin this last song by just simply saying, thank you for the gospel and thank you for opening our eyes in revelation to the mystery of the gospel. You didn't have to save any of us. And out of your great grace, you did. Thank you. Thank you for the people that you used to do that. That's number one, Lord. And then number two. Thank you for the gift of the church. That even angels are mystified and learning from. That is bizarre thoughts, Lord. To think that angels are looking down on Northport, Alabama and learning something about the gospel because of the people in this room. That's that's mind-blowing. Teach us how to play our part better and how to love you more. 
not out of works, but out of worship. Jesus, you are awesome. And it's your name we pray. Amen.